Join us right now and let's pray for uh, what God's going to give us today. In this fifth session in the School of the Prophets, week number five, uh, we'll get it from the book of Jonah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for, for using us, leading us. Lord, thank you that you can take even, even us, call us to Christ, equip us through discipleship, give us your word, send us out, and Lord, use us to reach those, those who need to hear the gospel. And Father, we feel like we're, sometimes we're coming up after having been thrown in the sea to drown ourselves. It, it feels like we're coming up out of a whale's belly trying to, and yet having a, a commission from you, a call from you to deal with others. So Father, we pray you would interest us today in this topic, that you would allow us to see the importance and how, you, how we can be used of you in this life. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And, um, you know, Jonah is unique in this school of the 12 prophets we're going to look at because of these 12 Old Testament apostles, if I could call them that, he's the only one that doesn't have a word to say about God's own children, Israel. He has no word for the Jews. And instead, his lesson in this class is a story and this story is so familiar to us that, you know, from the time we enter Sunday school, Samson and Jonah is like the comic book of the Bible. And if you don't learn anything else, you learn Samson and you learn Jonah. And yet the story itself is really the prophet's message. Now, I have to admit to you up front, it is hard to have a good time with Jonah, except in Branson. So, except in Branson, it's just kind of hard to have a good time with Jonah. And, uh, but having said that, our thesis for today's study is this. The book of Jonah is both God's mission statement for your life and your rationalizations for avoiding it. So, the ship, the storm, the whale, the gourd, all of those are incidentals. The essential thing of this book is what this prophecy says to you. And what it says to you today about your own relationship with God and his mission, and therefore your own soul's position in God's purpose for eternity. So what do we do when we recognize, we finally grow up and recognize that Jesus says, look, your call to salvation was a call to serve me. So when I called you to get saved, then I said, follow me. And I'm leading you to be a servant like I was. And you know, I think this is the most important thing to bring up today related to our next generation, related to our kids, related to our youth, because they mimic, mirror, or mock your responses to God. And so this is not the typical outline of the book of Jonah that you will find in the commentaries, but then Jonah's not the typical prophet and I'm not the typical preacher. So the outline that I offer you is really an experiential exegesis of a Christian's responses to God. So I'm not exegeting the scripture yet, um, but I'm exegeting your own experience and really this is the outline of the book. First, Jonah says, I will not go. Then he says, well, I will go, but he goes with a wrong heart unwillingly. 
And third, it's like, okay, I'll go, but I'm not going to be satisfied with God's results. And finally, I'll go, but I'm going to come back bitter and be bipolar the rest of my life. You know, there's no cure for Jonah, not even by the end of this book. And that is both the status and the state and the surprising end of the church in these last days before the rapture. I mean, almost no churches, no pastors, no pulpits are calling you to become a Philadelphian Christian. Instead, they are accommodating you in a Laodicean age. They're making you feel comfortable with being lukewarm in your life with Christ. Not not us. I mean, we've got a whole pathway for growth for you that starts with Discipleship One. You can sign up right out in the lobby and we'll pair you up with someone who will take you through the Bible one-on-one through 16 basic fundamental concepts of Christian life. And you can take our Discipleship Two. That's about an eight-month sit-down course where we will teach you how to study the Bible on your own, how to do it for yourself. And then we've got our Living Faith Bible Institute. And we'll have the uh, luncheon today over in the, our offices, which are actually in Copper Oaks, right behind our church. We own the building that's right on the end. And uh, so our offices are there. And also we have a, a, another room there, which is uh, the Spanish class and other things. And so we will meet there. And uh, I probably shouldn't even say this because we'll be overwhelmed. But uh, I, think, I think we're feeding you barbecue. Is it barbecue? We are, we're, we're feeding you barbecue. And um, so this is kind of a big deal. And if you want to come, and I, do I care if you jump the line, as it were, and you just show up? I do not. So if, you, you know, if you're interested, if you just, even you're not a student yet, and this is kind of an orientation for the students and even returning students because there's something like 500 students from 70 different churches and Things change every year, and we just got to get everybody on the same page. But we would uh, like you to be there. I I would like you to be there, even if you're just interested. You say, huh, I might like to take that counseling class. Uh, Okay, you can can still sign up to do that. Or, you know, Alan, I want to take the class you're doing on 1 Corinthians, because it's a handbook on urban ministry. Uh, Okay, so uh, go ahead and show up, and um, but not if you don't like barbecue. And, and so we've got, we've got that all laid out. We are struggling. We are fighting. We are pulling you to not be a Laodicean Christian, but be a Philadelphian age Christian in, in the time of the Laodicean church. And so in order for you to understand the story of Jonah, you need to see how Jonah is a picture in Bible type. And Bible typology means that certain people, places, things, or events are Old Testament pictures of New Testament truth. Therefore, many times, they are physical pictures of a scriptural doctrine. And it's amazing how familiar we are with the story of the whale, and yet we really don't know who Jonah is, and we don't know what he represents. So let me do some Bible spade work. So we can get our backstory to this story at the very end of 2 Kings chapter 14. And we put some of the verses there on your handout if you want to look at them. At the end of 2 Kings 14, there is a seven-verse summary of the longest reigning monarch that the northern kingdom of ten tribes ever had in their 
infamous history. So out of 19 or 20 kings, they had that not one of them was any good. But this was the longest reigning one. And verse 23 tells us he reigned 41 years. From, that was longer than David. That's longer than Solomon from 825 to 784 B.C. Verse 25 says he restored. That means he recaptured, he reoccupied the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath. Now that's over 200 miles north of their capital city of Samaria. So he is knock, knock, knocking on Assyria's door unto the Sea of the Plain. So his dominion becomes almost as extensive as David's was. Why did it happen? According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, whose name means dove, a picture of the Holy Spirit, who was the son of Amittai, whose name means my faithfulness, or faithful to the truth, the prophet, which was of Gath-hefer in the tribe of Zebulon, Joshua 19, verse 13, and therefore arising out of Galilee, which was about 60 miles east of Joppa and about 500 miles southwest of Nineveh and about 2,000 miles from Tarshish, which is all the way up in Spain. So despite what the Pharisees say to, to Nicodemus in John 7, 52, when Nicodemus is trying to defend Jesus a little bit, and they say to him, well, look, search the scriptures. No prophet arises out of Galilee. No, Jonah is a prophet out of Galilee. And he is truth-telling in the Holy Spirit. So three years after King Jeroboam II ascends to the throne, this prophet from Gath-Hefer, from the Hefer that is close to Gath, he enters his court with a message from Israel's God. He says, look, you're going to recapture and you're going to annex so much territory that your kingdom is going to be just like David's. And yet for all of that, it is said of him in verse 24 that he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That was Jeroboam the first. That was the original king after the kingdom split who originally made Israel to sin who built altars with golden calves in Bethel and in Dan so that none of his people would go to the temple at Jerusalem to worship. Well, if that don't beat all. And yet I know that God knew that this was going to be that king's response because this same Jonah had received a call 40 years earlier to go to the court of a Gentile king in Assyria and that is where the book of Jonah begins. In the previous 40 years, 862 to 823, Jonah is one of the leading teachers in the schools of the prophets where Elisha is nearing the end of his illustrious ministry. But now politically, Israel is uh, carrying out two contradictory policies, just, just like today, just like we're doing today. So Israel was going globalist and they were trying to expand their security horizons by forming alliances with nations around them, even down as far as Egypt. And at the same moment, she is more isolationist and more separatist and more exclusive 
than she's ever been in her history. And we are the mirror image today of that exact same scenario. So on the one hand, after World War II, we became the architects of the globalist institutions and international uh, ambitions. We are the ones who wrote the rules and set up the International Monetary Fund and, and the United Nations was our idea. And on the other hand, we think we can make America, America great by avoiding foreign alliances. And on the other hand, we recognize America will never be great unless we lead this world as a superpower. So it's an inherent contradiction in policies. And it was at that moment in 884 BC, during the reign of Jehu, that every Baal worshiper in Israel was slain. 1 Kings 19, 2 Kings 9 and 10. I mean, they got fed up with Ahab and Jezebel and all that they brought down on their heads. So they took, they took care of that mess. And now less than two, two decades later, Jewish contempt for those surrounding idolatrous nations comes to a head. And its sharpest focus is here in the story of Jonah. Now, if Tarshish was at the end of the world of that time, and it was, then Nineveh was the Tehran of the world of that time. The king of Nineveh was the Kim Jong-un of the world at that time. The Assyrians themselves were the Wahhabi uh, Saudi terrorists of the world at that time. And so things have not really changed in that part of the world because the same bloodthirsty vengeance of Hamas and that Hezbollah has for the Jews, those Ninevites had for Israel. We're going to drive them into the sea. So history is on repeat. Now, if you're here and you're a student and you're taking a history class in college, I want you to know but a biblical philosophy of history is not that history will cycle forever, but in the mercy of God, sometimes it does so that humanity can see how to avoid catastrophe and if it doesn't, certain individuals within it can at least see how to get out of the way. So two political truths I think are certain today. One is that we will never pay down, we will never pay off our national debt. And when that bubble bursts, there, there will be a global financial reset. Uh, second, catastrophic weather events, whatever they're caused by, uh, are only going to get worse, not better. And that will play into the crisis. Now, why do I say that? Because Jonah was a prophet and he is foretelling events at the end of the age. Those two things were right in play in Jonah. The crops were failing in Assyria. The currency was falling. And all of that played into the coming invasion and both factors play into the ascent of the coming Antichrist. And the Assyrians would never leave a garrison of soldiers behind in any area they conquered. What they did was simply to either slaughter the inhabitants or carry them off as captives to another place. And so the inscriptions on their monuments, and that, that was the social media of the day. 
So there's a reason why we call it a post. Because the Assyrians made posts. And then they drew pictures and words on those posts that they made. And uh, they're quite graphic. I mean, uh, they describe with glee how the vanquished victims are held down while a soldier will, will pull the tongue and just rip it out of the, the opposing soldier, the, the Jewish soldier. And men would be strapped down and their skin flayed inch by inch from their muscle with a sharp knife. And then those skins were billboarded on the walls in order to terrify the population. Some people were impaled alive. Pyramids of severed heads would mark the path of the Assyrian army. Boys and girls were either carried into slavery or they were burned alive. All the forests were cut down. As the captured cities were plundered, they were reduced to ashes. And yet we saw God tell Amos, remember Amos 3 verse 7, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. That secret about what he's going to do. That means he reveals it ahead of time. That means he reveals it just like he's doing it to you this morning. He reveals it before it happens. So Jonah just knew Assyria is destined to sweep all the way down and annihilate God, my people, God's people Israel. And that will be the climactic, cruel, chaotic end of this beloved nation. So sitting in this strategic spot between two warring superpowers is one man. And he's God's chosen instrument to travel 500 miles to the northeast and deposit God's message with the anti-Semitic Gentiles in Nineveh who are accusing the Jews of sex trafficking, blood drinking, and adrenochrome harvesting as a pretext for their coming war. I mean, they're calling the Jews Nazis. So Jonah's not really a prodigal prophet as you may have heard him described. He is a patriot I mean, Jonah's the same graduating class as Moses and Paul. Exodus 32, verse 32. Moses tells God, says, Look, yet now, if thou wilt, forgive their sin. And if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. Out of the book of life. You just take my name out of it. If, he, if, I, if they can't go with me, I don't want to go. Uh, Romans 9, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. He doesn't mean his family. He says, My kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. In the Bible, the Old Testament type always has an anti-type because the type, even if it is physical, is only a shadow of the coming reality, which is doctrinal. And that is why the book of Jonah is Bible prophecy in story. So he's a picture in Bible type of five simultaneous things. Number one, Jonah is a type of the history of Israel. Jonah, Israel, they've been disobedient to their biblical covenant and calling. And yet, just like the Bible itself, they've been miraculously preserved in their calamities. Not just through a whale's belly for three days and three nights, but for 2,000 years. They will eventually find salvation is in the Lord, Jehovah Jesus. And in the millennium, they will bring God's word to the Gentile nations. 
Number two, Jonah's a type of Christ as a sign to the Jews. I mean, Jesus said that. So Jesus was sent on a mission by his father. He voluntarily gave himself up to die to save others like Jonah did when he was on that ship and it was about to sink. God sent Paul to bring tidings to both Jews and Gentiles, which lead them to repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus, Acts 20, verse 21. And the word of life, which Israel rejected, the Gentiles received, Philippians 2, 16. Number three, Jonah's a type of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to turn to Jonah chapter four. We're gonna work our way backwards in this book. Maybe that's the way some of you read the comics, right? That's the way you read a book. Uh, you start at the back and go, go chapter by chapter through. So, okay, chapter one says, Jonah's dead and in and the, three, the whale's belly, three days and three nights. In Matthew 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus says that is a picture signaling what they're gonna do to him and what's gonna happen. As a matter of fact, there are three prophets in the last days of the northern kingdom who are a type trio. They are a type trio. First, Elisha dies and is buried, but in his death, he gives life to another. 2 Kings 13, 21, just like Jesus. I mean, not just like him, but like him. Okay, you can't make a type walk on all fours, as they say. In other words, every detail is not the same, but the idea is the same. Second, Jonah dies and goes to hell, but then he comes up in order that he should not see corruption. Jonah chapter two, verses two and 10, just like Jesus. And in the same time frame, number three, letter C, Elijah ascends to heaven. And since Elisha wanted a double portion of Elijah's spirit, Elijah cast down his mantle, second Kings two, verses nine and 13 and 14, just like Jesus sent down the Holy Spirit after he ascended. So back to our typology on this matter of Jonah theology. Number four, Jonah's a type of the sealed Jewish evangelists as Jehovah's Witnesses during the tribulation, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Revelation 7, Revelation 14. And finally, Jonah is a type of us believers who are called to get up out of our boat, stop being lukewarm, and preach the gospel of God's grace to the lost. So here in chapter 4, I want you to look in the middle of the second verse of this last chapter, because I want you to start by seeing the reason Jonah gives God for going AWOL on him, verse 2. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. I fled before fulfilling my calling. I fled before doing what you told me to do. Why? For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. You don't just change your mind. You change your decision and you do something different. So if they do wickedness, you plan evil. But if they repent of their wickedness, you repent of your evil. And that is our reason to go with the gospel. Yet we make every excuse to stay or to stay silent. God saved Ninevites at the expense of Israelites. And yet verse 1 says, 
that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. Not a, not a, not a rebel, not a prodigal. But since he had an overwhelming love for his nation, he didn't want to be used that way. Now I'm going to say that he also had a failure of faith. Because he could have believed the same thing for his own nation that he believed for the Ninevites. He believed that God would repent of the evil if they repented. For whatever reason, he had no belief that his people would repent of the evil before God brought the hammer down on them from Assyria. And uh, so you want to see the reason that God is sparing Nineveh at the expense of his own children. It is the same reason that God is grafting Gentiles in, grafting us into Christ and giving us new covenant blessings now while he's cutting off and blinding the Jews. So the reason is there in the very last verse of the book. Look at verse 11. God says to Jonah, And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Why shouldn't I repent if they repent? Now, Jonah never answers that question, uh, but everything else in the book, the command of Jonah, the patience of God in compelling him to preach to Nineveh, they are all the result of God's desire stated in that verse right there and in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men, like the skeptics and unbelievers, count slackness, but... God is long-suffering to usward and to them, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God tells us the story of Jonah and Nineveh because of what it reveals about himself, even in the Old Testament. And once that purpose is served, then the prophet stops speaking and the scribe lays down his pen and God drops the mic and walks away. I want you to consider the theme of Jonah related to the previous two minor prophets that we've studied under because the order of the books in your King James Bible is divine. Now, the Jews have them in a different order. And as far as that goes, the ESV, the English Standard Bible, the Greek text that they translate the New Testament from has a totally different order than the books of the Bible, even the books of their own Bible but they're not honest enough to put their Bible in the order that their Greek text is in. Now this, it, the, considering the two prophets before in Jonah, these three prophets, this is a triptych. Not a tick-tock, but a triptych. Because a triptych is a three-panel picture that you need to hang above the sofa. And this is a triptych of the Lord. Because Amos reveals the sovereignty of God. Obadiah reveals the judgment of God. But Jonah, Jonah reveals the mercy of God. And he didn't even want to reveal it. I want you to look at the word spare in that last verse of Jonah because it is the same word that the James gang translates pity in verse 10. In Genesis 45, verse 20, they translated it with the word regard. Should I not regard? It literally means to cover, 
And because you cover their sin, you look at them with compassion and you spare them. So now go to chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3. You know, the pagan sailors, even pagan sailors of all people, were so anxious to save one life, Jonah's, that they took a chance on being swamped by the raging sea, not being willing to throw him and cast him into it. Jonah chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But Jonah is so put out with God for sparing Ninevites and their 120,000 kids, so young that they don't know their right from their left, that he wants to commit suicide in the suburbs, chapter 4, verse 3. You know, and God kind of says, you know, there's an altar for sacrifices at my temple to cover your sin. And yet you are still worshiping golden calves at Bethel and in Dan, 1 Kings 12 and 2 Kings 10. So why should I not cover for them if they repent? Because they got a whole lot of cattle and they don't worship any of them. Do you not feel sorrow in your own heart for the lost? You know, I understand we don't ask that anymore. I mean, I back in the old church, the old church, every summer in the old church, they had what they called a revival. And a revival was several days compact. And you went to church every night that week. And there was some special, you know, preacher in and he preached a revival and they would ask questions like that. And, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, I, I can't betray you or Jonah today. Jonah's a hard prophet. It's got to be accompanied with hard preaching. Do you not want people to get the gospel? Do you not want to bring them to Christ? Do you not want to shield them from the devil's ultimate destiny? This is God's attitude toward the lost. Should I not spare? Is it yours? So the story of this book gives us an essential message about God, but it also shows us the essential need of a messenger for God, of a man or woman who will preach, who will teach the word of God, who will just give their, just take your testimony, just give somebody your testimony and then, Mix it in with the terms of the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 2, arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city. I don't know, how many times does he say this? Jonah, that's a great city. What do you mean great? It's great in its wickedness. God says, no, man, yeah, okay. But man, it's got a great lot of people. It's got a great lot of kids. It's got a, it's got a, you know what? And, and, and they're not worshiping who your, your people are worshiping, and they think they're okay worshiping it because they got rid of Jezebel and, and Baal. It's, you know, so God's like, give me a break. Go, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Wow. The original manuscript has been altered. God altered the original manuscript. What good are original manuscripts anyway? I mean, not that we have any of them, but even if we did, instead of crying against the city, which is what he originally told Jonah, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, all right, all right, you're going to make me do you like that? Uh, you go and preach unto it instead. Don't cry against it, preach unto it. And you know, I know exactly who ought to be ordained, but I don't think most people understand who ought to preach. 
I mean, I want your children to preach. I want us to teach our kids to preach. Because Paul phrases the Jonah call and the divine inquiry this way in Romans 10 verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall, because that's how you get saved. It's not ceremonies, sacraments, rituals. It's, it's you call on Jesus. You believe on Jesus for everlasting life. And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? Jesus and what he did for you. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And yes, it's true. They cannot preach unless they're sent. But here's our first point for study. Every saint, every Christian by being born again is called to preach, to reach each, and announce the good news that faith in the finished work of Christ brings you everlasting life. And out of that verse comes the explanation for God's persistent patience in securing your participation in his mission and making sure that your soul is set for his purpose in eternity. But I tell you what, here's what I'm glad about. Look at verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. You better be glad about that too. The man who failed at first had a second chance to fulfill his, his calling and God's mission to Nineveh in his generation. But you know, if it's not practical, it's not preaching. Okay, I'm not preaching if I haven't made it practical. I mean, if I am not uh, pulling up in your driveway, sitting in your seat, and making this word practical to you. And you know, I can remember when I was your age, and I was in high school, High school and college and sitting there in the pew and listening to Dr. Daly preach and Pastor Daly get up and preach. And every week I was evangelistic and all the time he's talking about soul winning and getting people to share the gospel with others. And I understand that people don't even listen the same today. But it is the responsibility of every Christian to represent Christ. Paul says we are ambassadors now that is cross-dispensational, that, that crosses all ages, that is as true of you today as it was when Paul wrote it to the Corinthians, and we saw last time how Jonah tells us we are even saviors to judge Edom. And in Jonah's flight to Tarshish, it wasn't because of lack of love to God, it was lack of pity, it was lack of compassion for Ninevites who were the others. Jonah did not want those people to flee the wrath to come into the arms of his merciful God, so Jonah fled from God. Are you saved? Then let me disciple you in something. Your job is to know God and give others the example of obedience to his word. Walking in the Spirit, walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. His purpose, not your desires, has to be the mastering passion of your life. So that means prejudice has to be overruled by providence. That means failure at this point is always going to result in your lack of fellowship between the messenger and the master, between the worshiper and God's word. And I already told you, I mean, my name is Alan, I'm your friend. But I cannot betray Jonah or you by not giving you the hard preaching that comes from a hard prophet. 
The reason that your life is so selfish and messed up right now is because you do not love God enough to minister his word to people. And that's just bottom line. And, and the only way to do justice is if I let you know that and, and let you react to God in that, not to me. Do you care for the plant that comes up and perishes? I know some of you do. You take care of your plants. Um, do you care for the animal that you pet? Well then, in these last days before the rapture of the church, have pity on your Ninevites. Bring them here to get the gospel. If you're too shy to do anything, well, at least invite them to church. Where they're, you know, my commitment to you is they will hear the gospel every given Sunday. I mean, it's not all evangelism all the time. I'm all about teaching as well as preaching, but they will get the gospel. Give them the gospel that will not just cover their sins, but totally remove them entirely because they've been born by Jesus on the cross all the way to hell. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Man, this is a great gospel verse. I wonder if you could lead somebody to Jesus with this. For God hath made Christ to be sin for us. Christ who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Give regard to the people that God providentially places in your path and among your relationships. Seek to give the lost a cover and a shield behind the blood of Jesus. And you will never really give your heart to ministry until you come into fellowship with God's divine pity. So let's, let's end at the beginning. Turn to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to end at the beginning because God still has to have a messenger today. But most of Americans, Christians are kind of like that amazing prophet Jonah. They will not go. Or when they go, it's unwillingly. Or, or even if they do go, they're unsatisfied when they don't see the results that they think they should have gotten. Or they get bitter and they end up bipolar as Jonah is in the last chapter. Oh, shame. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Why cry against the Ninevites' wickedness? Because we're unloving? Because we're spewing hate? No. Because that wickedness is damning the Ninevites. Cry against it because it is that wickedness that is damning the Ninevites and God wants to save even Ninevites. So how far have you obeyed? Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A ship was waiting so do not be ignorant of Satan's devices because the devil will make all your circumstances line up as long as you're trying to escape your responsibility to carry out and communicate his word to the lost. How do we overcome this difficulty of, of not wanting to be involved with God in ministry? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, Wherefore also we pray, 
Okay, that, that ought to be the first way. We pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. The callings worthy are you. And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Um, how, how do we overcome the, how do we cross the line? How do we just uh, um, uh, get past the inertia and get things going? We do it by falling in line with our calling, by letting the Spirit of God answer to the Word, because the, then the Word of God will do the work, and we don't have to worry about either its reception or its results. Our obedience puts all of that in God's hands. So our final point for study is this. Love creates obedience. And it calls down the assistance of God's Spirit to make His Word work with power. Jonah wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. We simply don't invite His presence in. We don't acknowledge His presence, therefore we don't have His power. So begin to be obedient, follow God's Word, just out of your love to the Lord, just for the sake of that. And He will create the love for the lost that Jonah never had. And that most of our churches today, most Christians' churches today, they don't really know. They claim to love the lost and hand out band-aids for their wounds. But they have no, they will not show them the healing power. They do not show them how to keep from getting hurt. They do not get them into an eternal purpose for their soul with God. So this class lesson in the School of the Prophets this Sunday is this. It is a psyche-destroying sin for you to think that if you are saved, the gospel can stop with you, and you do not have to pray without ceasing, and you do not have to acknowledge God's presence in your Nineveh, and that you do not have to proclaim his word with his power. God calls you to a task that he prepares you for in advance when you get saved. And as we go together, we enter into a new fellowship with Christ and a new fellowship with each other. We find new blessing laboring together for the lost. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, we rejoice today at being able to learn from Jonah. What an amazing prophet. Even though some of what he teaches is unintentional, I don't know how he feels about it now, but God, I know how we feel about it. We thank you, especially for what it says about our ministry as a body of believers. Especially how it shows us that it is a test of our commitment to you for us to be willing to use to view together. So God, help us consistently show the love of God to the lost in what he did for them and offering his son, Jesus Christ, for their sin. Make us willing to be the preacher who enables them to hear so that then they can believe, so that as they believe, they can call on you for everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Have you made that call yet? If you believe, you can make it. And again, all you have to do is pray. All you have to do is believe enough to pray your heart to God, knowing that he hears, knowing that Jesus is alive.
He is listening. Just pray and say, Jesus, I trust you today for everlasting life. God, save me for Jesus' sake. Not not because of what I do or have done, not because I'm a member of some church someplace, not because I've been baptized, catechized, or any other eyes, not because uh, my parents were such good members at such good church someplace. No, you saved me for Jesus' sake because I'm trusting in his finished work today. And if you pray that, come here to the front and let us know, either while the praise team is singing or as soon as we get done.